0: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's been hurt by a Dos Santos brother for the second time in eight years. His name is Taylor Rockwell, and I'm right there with him. Hello, Taylor.
1: Hello, you are correct. Uh, I will say, on a positive, this is one of these times that I'm very happy that you do the hello and welcomes the way you do, as yeah. well as you do. Not sure I could have mustered the energy that you did on that one, so thank you for that.
0: It's the most I had. Maybe I'll still, <laughs> I know but, it was. I've got some residuals from the yeah. World Cup win there you uh, go. earlier today.
1: I saw you dig deep for that one. Yeah, I saw I, it.
0: I dug all the way back to 1 p.m. Eastern. There we go. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. So we didn't get two trophies in one day. We did not. Yeah, not the credit house mm-hmm. um, song. The US women won the World Cup this morning. The US men lost one nil to Mexico. In the Gold Cup final.
1: They did indeed. In All between right. those two games, uh, we did watch Brazil beat Peru in yeah, the we Copa Medica final. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end of this show. Yes. But we're going to be focusing primarily on the USA's 1-0 yeah. loss to Mexico. So
0: we'll end with the host nation that won the tournament. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> um, so obviously we'll talk tactics because mm. there's a lot of tactical changes. Yep. Obviously we'll talk the goal, the mm. Jonathan Dos Santos goal. What's our immediate sort of emotional reaction to this? Get with the sort of what 45 minutes or so since or oh, much longer uh since the game ended now that we've settled down a little bit i mean now that we settled we did, down we did a head bit, on desk for a little bit yeah. what, how are we feeling
1: now um i think i would i would say i'm still sort of confused is i think the best going- way i can put it with a slight tinge of frustration on there because i felt like even though mexico got a couple chances in the first half it seemed like the united states were executing the game plan playing the game they wanted to be playing causing problems and and had what like i think ended up having a better expected goals but certainly had that in the first 45 and expected goals
0: was like 1.62 to 1.12 in favor
1: of the united states and instead it was zero to one yeah Uh, and and i think even like the first couple minutes of the second half still okay but then i think the kind of really uh, precipitous drop-off in the second half. It's a cliff. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it makes it really difficult to understand exactly what happened. We've gone back and rewatched as we do. We've read quotes. We've watched the Greg Berhalter mm-hmm. press conference. So we have some ideas. But I still say at the end, I'm just sort of like confused and a little bit. Well, not depressed. Depressed is too harsh. But it yeah. was just sort of like, I thought we had him, and then we didn't.
0: Yeah, and we did see progress throughout the tournament. The US played a bit more like the Berhalter style. But I think we learned tonight that we're not as far as long as we need to be to beat a team like Mexico. And I would say, I would double down on this and say, Tata Martino not only outcoached Bearhalter yes. to, tonight with in-game decisions, which we'll get into in mm-hmm. lots of detail, but I think he also outcoached Bearhalter in terms of his Mexico team is... More, uh, it's further along and more accustomed to the Tata Martino style of mm-hmm. play than the US is with the Greg Brehalter style of and play. It's worth is that fair? To, I, it's absolutely yeah.
1: fair, and it's worth noting at that point that the conversation I had with uh, Felipe Cardenas uh, in the preview for this game, from mm-hmm. like, kind of the more like l tree perspective, his point was that. Uh, Tata Martino has come under fire for being very rigid and not rotating the way, like even, certainly not as much as Juan Carlos Osorio used to, but yeah. even like close to that. Like he's Mexican been buying... press
0: got used to loads of rotation. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> I think then it was, like in Felipe's point was, it used to be, there's too much rotation, there's too much rotation, now there's, well, why aren't you rotating uh-huh. players? And it's because he wants them to be really familiar with the system. Mm-hmm. And I think you saw that tonight. And even when there were adjustments and players switching spots for Mexico, yep. they still knew exactly what was being asked of them and exactly where they needed to be.
0: Yeah, I think you saw a lot of, uh, again, we'll get to the details but mexican players making in-game decisions and solving problems themselves Mm -hmm. maybe in a way that the u.s players either weren't able to do or weren't licensed to do Yeah. Fair? <laughs> yes. Um, and then final thing, which we'll get into, is uh, the the defensive shape of the U.S., mm-hmm. which may be part of the problem. Um, we'll also talk at the end of the show about, like, what happens going forward. So it's not going to yep. be all depressing, U.S. fans. Mm-hmm. There's going to be – we're going to talk about the future, and maybe what we would like to see change in the future in terms of personnel and in terms of maybe the the tactical setup. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've preambled. Yep. <laughs> shall we Shall we get to it? Let's do it. Um, all right. Let's start with the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. I was pretty happy when I saw it. It was basically what I wanted. Josie Altidore um, at striker. I thought maybe he'd go 90. Mm -hmm. I only got two-thirds of my wish there.
1: I will say it's what I thought we would see. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted to see because I am still one who thinks Tyler Boyd impressed and offered a lot of attacking flair. I thought we would see Jordan Morris because we saw him uh, in the last game against Jamaica because I expected a bit more physicality, similar to what we saw from Jamaica. I thought maybe that would be why Jordan Morris is in there. I didn't think Jordan Morris had that good of a game, that it wasn't <laughs> night and day. I know there were some issues with Tyler Boyd's defensive positioning, although I think it's worth remembering that when we back, went back and watched the Curacao game, we still felt like some of the things that Tyler Boyd yeah. was doing, Jordan Morris continued to do.
0: Did you listen to my whole conversation with Joe Lowry? So it was no. a long, long, long one. One of the things we came up with is that maybe it's because Tyler Boyd He's essentially a little too selfish, mm-hmm. a little too like, I'm going to dribble and I'm going to shoot. And yep. It's almost like he wants to be the hero and maybe yep. Behalter wants him to be the sidekick and just do a few things to like pull players out of position and be part of the team shape mm-hmm. and keep moving the ball. Whereas Boyd wants to go at people and take a strike, and yeah. maybe maybe that's where the uh, the bad fit is in terms of what Bearhalter sees in Tyler Boyd. Yeah. So maybe we're speculating. I wish someone had asked Greg Bearhalter yeah. in the press conference what has happened to Tyler Boyd. Where is he? What have you done with him?
1: At this point, I'm I will be surprised if we see him caught up for the uh, for really? the Copacab Nations League. Yeah, I think
0: that is burned the bridge. It, it it
1: seems very strange that he goes. That from being a, from being a starter and looking like a very electric player who scores goals for the yeah. United States to – I think you're probably right that I think we saw him looking to shoot and try to create shooting opportunities in maybe moments when that wasn't necessarily what he was being asked to do. So maybe that's what it comes down to. But to not see him at all in yeah. these final two games, that, that makes me think that maybe it's a like, – like at best, it's a go back prove that you can kind of learn how to play this system or adjust your game and then come back, maybe. But I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him in the next couple games.
0: Oh, and we'll talk about substitutions later, Mm -hmm. but I think think he should have been one of them, essentially. Just to offer something different and shake the game up a little bit yeah. and have someone, let them be selfish, go mm-hmm. at people and take some shots because we kind of needed that.
1: Yeah, we did. Uh, and then <laughs> I would say to your initial question about the lineup, the other one that I do think was surprising was Reggie Cannon getting the start again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought he deserved it. I thought he earned it. And I thought he, he, he performed well, very right? well. Yeah. But it was still a, like, it seemed like that was Nick Lima's spot for the f- foreseeable future. Now it seems like maybe it's Reggie Cannon. It's
0: really weird, right? But very yeah, weird. not undeserved. So no. Well done to Reggie Cannon.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: okay, let's talk... Uh, tactical setup there sure here's why i think the u.s started out actually quite strong yep. is we managed when mexico had the ball and we did our 4-4-2 defensive setup where you don't really pressure the ball but you just try and cut off passing angles i think it worked for essentially the first chunk of the first half yeah maybe up to like the 40th minute or so mm-hmm. and we forced mexico to play it long i'm now convinced that that is the plan the plan is don't try and win the ball, but give them no passing options, force them long, then we'll have the ball mm-hmm. and we'll build out from the back. And I think it mostly worked.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. And I think the the other element there is that if you're Mexico, who now, if the United States themselves go long and then try to counter-press, even if you're able to play out of it a little bit, you're still doing that 15 yards or 20 yards from your own goal. Yeah. I think, not to jump ahead, but I think later on in the game, they start to like counterpress the USA's counterpress and yeah, they yeah. start to win the ball back higher up the field and mm-hmm. then and that's it's not just an issue that now you're closer to goal, it's that now you're closer to your more dangerous players instead of when the United States would go long and kind of force Mexico back, now they're trying to build out, but if you're trying to get it to say Pizarro, he's like routinely higher up the field, at least to start, and so you can't quite get to him readily. So then Mexico end up going long themselves. Yeah. And I think that game plan really did work. Yeah. I, and I also think... Because
0: Miazga, Miazga and Long were beating Raul Jimenez in the mm-hmm. air every single time. And then someone like McKenney or Bradley or Ariola would win the second ball. That's, right? that's so it absolutely worked for us. That's the, the key ball thing, thing for me
1: is that we saw the United States fight for every single one. But because Mexico were being forced into long balls, initially they would try to play it short their midfield would drop in to try to provide options and when they would go long because their midfield has moved back now there's probably a 20-30 yard gap between the midfield and Raul Jimenez right. so, so there's no one really around him So, yeah. and even when there were I think they're outworked by the US midfield yep. the United States is able to kind of consistently win the ball off get possession in advantageous positions yep. themselves do
0: you think it's like too much energy spent by the US yes. in the first half I, mean, I thought I saw the US team get tied and I mean, not that was, just Josie Altidore who again maybe not 100%
1: yeah I mean that was that was my concern in the final five minutes I think of the first half yeah you caught call- In the 40th minute, you started to see a lot—not a lot, but like sloppy passes, errant giveaways, mistakes, like in challenging for the ball. All of which I think spoke to heavy legs, tired legs, and just a little bit of mental fatigue. Because if you're executing a game plan like really really effectively but it's really requiring a lot of you especially against probably the best team the United States has played so far under mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter at least um then I think it you're kind of ha- going to have that exhaustion and I think you get a little bit of a surge after halftime but then I think it really <laughs> starts to set in as the second half goes on
0: and we also noticed I don't know if this is positive or negative but the two major chances that everyone will remember mm-hmm. as like the U.S. could have taken the lead there's the holds it up like does mm-hmm. really well. Does he bump? Is it I don't, I don't know if it's Moreno or Salcedo. He kinda of bumps him and then holds it up um, and then manages to like take it on the thigh turn and flick it, mm-hmm. Pulisic's in on goal, maybe just get a little too close to a Choa before he gets a shot away. And then there's the outdoor door chance that comes from the Timrim volley yeah. where he cuts and drags it wide. Yeah. Both of those come from direct balls. They don't come from the slow, patient, positional play, build up, unbalanced Mexico, create an opening create an opening and exploit that. The stuff that we you know we did to Trinidad and we, we did to Curaçao a little bit mm-hmm. and we did to Jamaica very much so. It was more just go direct. Altidore holds it up and flicks it on, or Altidore just takes it in a stride. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
1: but, and and that's another, I think, a very fundamental part of what the United States was trying to do, especially in the first half, was use the strength and physicality of Josie Altidore to yeah. their advantage. So, like it, a battering ram. Yeah, kind of. I mean, so you had these sequences where he would like literally hold players off while winning the like the aerial ball and yeah. flicking it on. But then also, there's one I think like near the end of the first half when Mexico do start to get a few more chances, a little bit more sustained possession. He drops in. Uh, and is is still the most advanced U.S. forward or player by some distance. And when Michael Bradley is able to play him the ball, there's no one around him. And Josie Atter just holds it up, holds it up, holds it up. Eventually, three players are on him. Eventually, he draws a foul. The United States can breathe and moment. push numbers forward. And I think his hold-up play was really key to what the United States were trying to do. Yeah. So, too, was the direct play that you mentioned. Because that's going back to, like, initially, I think I jumped the gun a little bit, but... The United States going direct, it then makes Mexico drop back and drop back. But also, then, if the United States goes direct but then sends numbers after them, and when I say direct, I mean like those 40 and 50 yard balls, Yeah. then it allows, say, Reggie Cannon to go bombing forward, which means now Pizarro, who wants to be an attacking left winger, has to drop all the way back. And there are moments. That was key to the first half. Right? Yeah. We had
0: Cannon so high that their best, sort of most creative mm-hmm. wide attacker, Pizarro, is forced into playing almost. Extra left back alongside yeah. Gallardo because Cannon's so far forward.
1: We, we freeze framed it at one point uh, in like midway through the first half, and Mexico were theoretically in a 4 3 3, but in this one they were like almost in a 4 1 3 2, and that one was Pizarro all the way over on the left hand side. That's yeah. how far back he was. And so if you're taking one of Mexico's most dangerous players and making them really focus on defense, it means they can't really focus on scoring goals. Oof,
0: okay, mm-hmm. but halftime. Tata Martino figures this C- can one Can I right? – a couple more things into that I think are important. You want, my friend.
1: Because I also think that – Me- uh, First half things? First half things because I think the, another key one in the first half is that I think Mexico's sort of like line of confrontation was a little bit deeper. I think they were willing to sit off the United States a little bit more. And so even if the U.S. wasn't pinging a 50-yard ball at the field, when you would see uh, Long or Miazga or Bradley trying to find uh, like balls into the feet of Pulisic when he dropped in or Altador when he dropped in or Areola or whomever else – I think Mexico weren't as aggressive in tracking those runs, and so you did see Pulisic get on the ball a little bit more and be able to turn yeah. with limited pressure and go at the defense. Same thing for Josie Altador on some occasions. Same thing for Paul Ariola, mm-hmm. And I think that definitely changes in the second half that Mexico stepped that lineup uh, quite a bit.
0: All right, so there's, a, there's kind of a list of changes, that yeah. I think, Tata Martino, little fixes that Martino mm-hmm. makes at halftime. Yep. Um, maybe we'll just, we'll just go through them one by one. You yep. mentioned Pulisic. He has Edson Alvarez, yep. essentially man mark Christian Pulisic, starting in the second half, right? Mm-hmm. The reason you see a lot less of Pulisic on the ball, the lot less, a lot less of Pulisic being able to run at people in the second half, is because Edson Alvarez is like glued to him yeah. the whole time. Even when Mexico have the ball, you see him, I thought he was like checking his shoulder doing the smart midfielder thing, like, like He's not. He's no. checking for Christian Pulisic to make sure he can be on him if and when the ball turns over. And that really takes Pulisic out of the game for long, long stretches. Yeah.
1: Because like like if you look at the difference in that first half, when Pulisic would say, sprint back fifteen yards to get a ball in for Michael Bradley, like a twenty-yard vertical ball from Michael Bradley, he would be able to oftentimes turn. And, like, would have caught a defender maybe not quite being as aggressive in the tracking. He could go at the defender. If he beats that defender, now he's away. And I think a lot of those kind of aggressive, fast, slaloming, slaloming runs from Pulisic mm. in the first half were because he was able to get the ball and turn yes. with relative ease. This time he has
0: Alvarez on his back.
1: And that's where yeah. I think a Stu Holden pointed out that, like, in the first 15 or maybe 20 minutes of the second half, Pulisic had, like, eight touches on the ball. Yeah. And I think a lot of those were, like, touch and play it backwards because he has Alvarez on his back. Yeah. So he can't turn. And if that's a key way the United States is trying to both alleviate pressure and establish their own attacks now both of those are gone
0: okay next change is the yep. switch of Pizarro mm-hmm. and Antuna who were the left wing and right wing they just switch sides right mm-hmm. so now Pizarro's on the left Antuna is on the right that means Pizarro doesn't have to worry about Reggie Cannon's like uh, yeah. charging forward runs he doesn't have to track him all the way back and then if you're on Tim Ream's side He's not going anywhere, right? You don't have a fullback that goes up the field that you have to track back all the way. Suddenly, Pizarro is a lot freer.
1: Yes, and I think uh, this may be hyperbolic, and I may end up saying this like three or four times tonight. But I think this might be the thing that is most upsetting to me or disconcerting to me going forward is that basically Tata Martino said, "Okay, we can't get our most aggressive, like, 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 useful attacking player involved because he's having to track back and play defense." But their other defender, their left back, isn't going forward at all, so we'll just put him over there. And now, basically, it completely suits our game. And I think going forward, other teams can look at that and say, well, the left back's not going forward, so we'll just put our best player over there and they're going to sit back. And then I think the other worrying thing was that it wasn't just then that Pizarro was on that right side, the USA's left side. And like going at Tim Ream every single time is that he would then oftentimes drift central and create overloads in the middle. A number
0: ten because they didn't really have a number ten, right? They had three central midfielders in Dos Santos, Guardado, Mm -hmm. um, and Alvarez. None of those are number tens. They got two wingers, but yeah, Pizarro starts drifting across. Suddenly he's in that like number ten spot, and it's a midfield overload, right? It's absolutely too many men for the US to handle in central midfield. So it's an absolutely genius change from Dante Martino and. We didn't have a, a counter move. We didn't. I mean? Because our shape is, yeah. the right back goes forward, the left back stays home. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really, we weren't able to switch. I know we try Lovitz later on, but it's it's too little too late. Sure. Right? But even, even sure. you know, I mean, even <laughs> when
1: we've seen Lovitz and we'll get to the subs again later right. on, but like even when we see Lovitz or have seen him previously, it has been playing that same Ream role so that Nick Lima could yeah. become a central midfielder. Like it, it's not a... But he oh, can get forward. He can, More but so it's, it's not a like, oh, okay, now we're putting in, like yeah. I think I said this you off air, but like... Nick Lima going in at left back would have made more sense to me at the end of the game than Daniel Lovitz. Wait, you just
0: think he's more of an attacking yeah, type player. I think yeah. so.
1: Yeah, so I think, and so again, I think going back to it, it's a very genius change from Tata Martino, but it's also a very simple change to make in the moment mm-hmm. that other teams I think can do. But then also once you have Pizarro do that it leaves Tim Ream out there because now Pizarro's gone central. So does Tim Ream track him? Because as soon as Tim Ream started to do that, then Luis Rodriguez, the right back from Mexico, would then get forward. And so it was these kind of intermittent waves of attack. Yeah, Yeah,
0: he was very smart about when to come forward and when not to and Mm -hmm. when to overload. Um, The other thing that Mexico changed up is, I would argue they get more aggressive. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the first half, there are we traded fouls basically, right? Mm-hmm. There's a horrible Pulisic tackle, a horrible Altador tackle. Uh, Mexico had some on us. No yellow cards given, which mm-hmm. I actually think is a mistake, just in terms of the ref keeping the players safe. And it wasn't biased one way or the other. It was just there should have been a card for some of those tackles. Yeah. But the stuff really early on in the second half, there's that moment. Is it Hector it's, Moreno? It's literally
1: in the first minute. Is of it? The second so half. Yeah.
0: Moreno like uh, goes with Altidore, but then deliberately after altador has gone down. Deliberately falls on top of yep. him and gets a hand in the back of his head. Right? Yeah, and then it then he's, is like it, it's it's much further o- farther over the line, mm-hmm. further because it's not an actual distance, yeah, much further over the line than what was going on in the first half. And I think it was a marker from Mexico of we are gonna rough you up.
1: Well, I would say, I would agree with that, and I would add. And then the final thing is that after all that happens, Moreno like rubs the back of Altador's head while Altador is yeah. still on the ground with his face in the ground, mm-hmm. and. It's it's a it's I think Stu Holden and John Strong were calling it housery, leaving yeah, off yeah. the key word there. Um but I think it's really, really smart housery in this situation because it's theoretically moreno being like oh i'm sorry i fell on top of you my bad like rubbing the back of a head but really if it's you have annoying, a person right? well no it's more so like if you have a person sitting on top of you as you're pinned face first in the ground and they yeah. rub your head it's much more of a like hey buddy enjoy this because you're gonna be getting a lot of this tonight yeah. like it's it's almost insulting at that point
0: western McKenney comes in he does lifts moreno off of mm-hmm. the door, which i kind of like yeah this is not going to be a red card for that right guardado gets McKenny around the neck puts it yep. like a Mm-hmm. Uh, what, hand round his throat, yeah. basically? But to be fair, the referee
1: was 40 yards away and didn't see that happen. <laughs> just kidding, he was right there, right there looking that at it. That
0: should have been something, right? That was an attempt by Guadalupe to provoke McKinney. Yep. I think did a really good job of standing his ground and looking like, don't do that, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to get you, but also didn't raise his hands, didn't do anything that he could have been sent off yep. for. But it was still a marker for Mexico. And I, I bring this up just to say that I think this is part of their whole scheme in the second half was to just be much more aggressive and not just in fouls, but in terms of just pressing and winning the ball. Yes, and that's what really did us right. Yes, and I would say that like even
1: with that, there's still a lot of control exerted by Mexico. So yeah. I think like everything we've just talked about with Hector Moreno is a sign of like he knows exactly what he's doing. But I would say even Guardado, like I think he's probably forgiven by the referee because it's like oh, it's heat of the moment. McHenry pulled this guy off. He's defending his Didn't teammate. Touch his face. He doesn't touch his face. And the other thing he does, if you watch it again, is that he very. Precisely, without really looking down, steps over and then around Josie Altador. And it would have been very easy in that moment for Guardado to step on Josie Altador intentionally or unintentionally as a way to like further stir things up. But I think he knows if I do that, then I'm definitely getting booked for this. And yeah. he like expertly avoids one player while grabbing another by the neck. To me, that is sort of being very aware of what he's doing in that moment. And yeah, to your point absolutely trying to antagonize McKinney into like knocking his hand away, and then Guardado goes down and acts like he's been hit in the face. There's no VAR. Maybe there's a booking for Weston McKinney.
0: Would you say that Guardado is a type of policy genius?
1: (laughs) I I, I guess. (laughs) I would say that was more of a shoehorn, but sure. If
0: it helps us get to the ad, (laughs) then let's say that he was. Today's show is sponsored by policy genius here's why part of adulthood is having to do things that you don't really want to do like red-eye flights i like a red-eye flight working late we're working late that's fine visiting in-laws you like a red-eye flight yeah that feels like a lie i mean i, I sleep through I'm it, not so it's Fine. but worst of all mm-hmm. getting life insurance part of adulthood is you have yeah. to remember to get things like life insurance
1: it is, and Policy Genius is the easiest way to shop for life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. No one likes red tape except for people who are applying red tape, I guess. If you're like a career bureaucrat, maybe you like red tape. Oh, some, people,
0: that, some people love it. Is it uh, Hermes on Futurama?
1: A career bureaucrat. That's loves, what I'm saying. Loves
0: him some red mm-hmm. tape. Um, he is not involved with Policy Genius. <laughs> He's <laughs> he not. You'll be glad to know. Um, It'd be more like Leela, right? Someone, someone who gets things done. Sure. (laughs) So there's no sales pressure from Policy Genius. You just compare the various policies. There's no hidden fees Mm -hmm. on top. You just pick the correct policy and you get financial protection and peace of mind.
1: There we are. So if you need life insurance, but you just don't want to deal with the legwork, head to policygenius.com. It's the easy way to compare all the top insurers and find the best value for you.
0: Policy Genius, delegate what you hate, especially if you hate getting life insurance. Yeah, it, does,
1: it does then beg the question, what if I love getting life insurance? What if it's my favorite thing to do is get different life insurance policies every day? Am I still allowed to use Policy Genius? I mean, you will be heavily covered. That's probably true. That's probably true. Um, you know who else was heavily covered? The U.S. men's national team in the second half.
0: Oh, yeah. Because...
1: Uh, In in continuing the conversation about what Mexico did, I think, or the adjustments they made coming out for the second half, another one was the kind of line of confrontation we talked about earlier that was a little bit deeper. They set off a little bit more. They pushed that way higher up. They put numbers further forward. And so when the United States did try to build out of the back, which I think they did more of in the second half, they had – significantly fewer options and much more pressure. And even when they would maybe bypass one line, you would still have so many people kind of like crowding the like crowding the midfield or getting bodies onto like people that would have been open in the first half. And mm-hmm. so now the United States really struggled to connect any sort of pass.
0: And this is where I think we hit the limit of how much the team has learned to play Greggie Ball. Yes. Right? They tried to play out of the back. Mexico made it really hard and the U.S. kind of just got it wrong, mm-hmm. right? I think to quote Berhalter from the press conference, I actually agree with him. Um, Calmness is what we lacked, and we were rushing passes uh, like uh, too direct into midfield. Yeah. Which is what happened, mm-hmm. right? You saw all the defenders force passes, like trying to jam passes into the midfield that weren't really on. And then McKenney or Bradley or Areola or Pulisic would get beat to the ball because they would have a man right on them, and it just wasn't an ideal way to receive the ball mm-hmm. at all.
1: And, and And it had the feeling of like if you're going with like an American football analogy of the team that like has the bad offense but a good defense so they like keep having to punt and they keep giving the other team the ball back and yeah. then you just kind of have to hold on and it really became the United States trying to force that 20 and 30 yard ball out of the back weirdly it tended to be Zach Steffen takes a goal kick plays it short to one of the center backs who turn and try to ping the ball up the field and don't have much success yeah. But I think contrasting with that, that Mexico, for even all their physicality and they still have their kind of moments of conca they then slow it down, and they're much more patient in possession mm-hmm. when they have the ball, they're further up the field, they have more numbers, and they're willing to just move the ball around knowing that the United States are going to get tired, are already tired. Yeah. They're going to get even more tired because now they have to chase and be aware and drop into space but then step to somebody else but then drop off that one but then yep. step to somebody else, and eventually and there- they're just going to be kind of holes because of fatigue.
0: There was a good spell that we re because we thought it was a good example. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact minute of it, but Mexico would move the ball across the defense, get it into midfield then drop it back to the defence. Mm-hmm. It looked like they'd just given up, but you think, when you look back, they've like gained five to ten yards, yeah. right? And they would maintain possession and slowly creep up the field until they were kind of on top of the US, like a Guardiola-Man City team gets on top of like yeah. Burnley or something yeah. in the Premier League. You know what I mean? And I think... That's what Berhalter is saying when he, he says we weren't calm enough, we weren't patient enough, we were trying to force balls. Mm-hmm. I think instead of Long, for example, he was not the only one doing it, instead of Long trying to like force that 30-yard ball into Bradley, yeah. he would prefer Long to Miasga, to the Ream, and mm-hmm. just move it slowly and calmly forward instead of trying to force it.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, But I think there's the pressure of, oh, no, Mexico are sending numbers for the forward now. I don't want to get caught in possession. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to make a bad pass. Yeah, yeah. I think Stu Holden talked about that in the first half. But Zach Steffen was like basically clearly told don't put your teammates into vulnerable positions. If in doubt, get that ball up the field. I refuse to say when in doubt, kick it out. Um, (laughs) But but I think with Mexico stepping further up, (laughs) they're now able to win not just more of the 50-50 balls, but also key here is more of the second balls yeah, off yeah. of those 50-50s. Because there's more of them. Yeah, there's just more of them, exactly. <laughs> and instead of it being like, oh, well, there's Josie Altador, but the rest of Mexico are kind of standing off or spread out. Now when Josie Altador goes to challenge for a ball, he's got four players around him. So wherever the ball goes, Mexico are likely going to be able to get the ball, then they slow it down and get that possession. And you just see the United States start to really struggle, and then they start to get tired. And so by the 56th minute, you have two chances in a row for for Pizarro, where he kind of dusts some players and still gets shooting opportunities at the end.
0: Oh, okay. So what should the US have done? Mm -hmm. Because in my head, maybe when it was clear that we were absolutely unable to play out of the back... It, personally, I would have kind of given up on the Greggy ball posi- uh, positional play, play it out and thought, this is a Gold Cup final. Yep. I want to win this. Maybe we just go a bit more direct. Maybe yeah. this is when Tyler Boyd comes in. Maybe we put Christian Pulisic on the wing and we just sort of put balls over the top for Pulisic and Boyd to, to chase after. I essentially would have given up on the mm-hmm. style and gone with what might have won us the game in this moment. But how stuck
1: with the style. He did. I, and I think, like, to answer your question, what could he have done? I think he had the right idea with his first substitution. I don't think Christian Roldan was the right player for that spot okay and I found it especially confusing given that afterwards in his post-match presser he basically said that like Roldan we brought him in to become a, like another central midfielder and help with possession he, to help
0: us with numbers in the middle yeah but he played right mid and then went really high and in went defensive really pressure. high so he went like kind of right wing yeah so he the point never where like, in the middle
1: never like uh, like that that was a baffling statement to me because if that was what yeah. he was asked to do he did not do
0: that he either uh, he gave Roldan yeah. not very good instructions Or Roldan didn't implement the instructions, Mm -hmm. which is still kind of Behalter's fault because you've got to get it across to the players. Or he somehow thought putting Roldan at right mid slash right wing Mm -hmm. would improve the numbers in central midfield, which just does not add up at all. No, it doesn't. Because it is. We haven't really mentioned it, but a major problem in the second half is Bradley and McKinney in the two-man midfield, are massively overrun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. And so I think if you're going to put in another central midfielder, you could... Maybe do that, but I think what made more sense is what he tried to do here, which is I think if you bring in Tyler Boyd as an example, now you've got Tyler Boyd on the right side with Reggie Cannon behind him, you can attack down that that right side for the U.S., the left side for Mexico, and I think they have to adjust to that because yeah. suddenly you've got two fast attackers, yeah. but I think also what you could have done here, which is clearly what they did for – about 60 seconds because Roldan comes on and yells the formation. Yeah. Is they dropped into a 4 5 1. Yeah. He I says think,
0: 5 5 5. Yeah. Right? He says and 4 5 1, and Pulisic comes and plays central midfield briefly.
1: Yeah. And yeah. it's, and it's, at times it looks more like a 4 1 4 1 with like Pulisic and McKenney ahead of Michael Bradley. Yeah. Christian Roldan again at right midfield, mm-hmm. not central. Um, and, and I think if you did that, but maybe put Tyler Boyd on that right wing. Now you get, theoretically at least, you get Pulisic more involved. I think. I also think with that in mind, the Jossie Zardes substitution makes more sense. Because even by the 40th minute, you could tell that Josie Altador was pretty gassed. Yeah. He's not running nearly as much as he was in the beginning of the game. He's done a lot of pole to play, got a lot of kicks. So... I kind of always thought the Jossi Zardes substitution was happening, but I think if you're going to do that, you bring him in, you let him run, you let him cause problems, but then you keep that kind of midfield three so that you've got numbers there, but so you still not, got attackers wide. Exactly. He, here's
0: my big thing. This is a major problem with this game. Sorry, I talked for a really long time there. It's fine. No, it, it was interesting. I was listening. Mexico have three central midfielders. Mm-hmm. They have Alvarez, they have Guardado, they have Jonathan dos Santos. The U.S. has two central midfielders. Yep. They have uh, Bradley and they have McKenney. Because in the defensive shape, Pulisic is originally alongside mm-hmm. Altidore. It's a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-2-2 defensive shape right the only way to solve that is to have that guy Pulisic come back into central midfield and go three for three right three versus three and we do it for 60 seconds and then when Zardes comes in Pulisic goes back into the front two
1: he does and and actually why forgive, forgive me why do
0: we give up on the four five one?
1: I don't know I genuinely don't but the other thing I'm realizing is we did actually have one more option which is you could have brought in Christian Roldan for Josie Altador and left Christian Pulisic up top. Yeah. And maybe you don't, because Jassy Zardes isn't going to be necessarily like the hold-up physical player that uh, Josie Altador was. Mm-hmm. He still has a couple good moments of hold-up play. He has the one yeah. where he like heads it down to Christian Pulisic. It was not encounter. his worst performance. It was not. But if you put Pulisic up there, maybe that causes more problems. You can put Roldan in the middle. Now you do have three, three central midfielders. Yeah. And if you have Tyler Boyd on the right, then you have an attacking option. So I feel like that would have made sense to me as well, because to your point, instead it... it I genuinely don't know if it's that maybe they abandon it as soon as Zardes comes on the kind of four five one, or if it's and you, I think you suggested this, so I don't want to like steal your thunder, but yeah. maybe no, there's I'm an more, argument.
0: I'm more comfortable with you saying it. Than All me. right,
1: then maybe there's an argument that Pulisic just kind of goes and does what he wants, yeah. and like maybe he goes he's off told off script, goes like, rogue. Yeah, we're playing a four five one. You're a central midfielder, but you've got a bit more freedom, and maybe he took that to mean like run around. And yeah. so he starts going back up top, and then we kind of really quickly, with Jossie Zardes coming on, go back to the exact same shape we had yep. before Jossie Zardes came on and before um, Christian Roldan came on. Yep. And so we essentially make two changes to swap out... To get back where we started? To get back where we started.
0: A shape that wasn't working. A and shape that wasn't here's, working. Here's why we're making... With arguably
1: less effective players as well.
0: <laughs> and listen, here's why we're making such a big deal of this. Mm-hmm. This 4-4-2 defensive shape, I think is what cost us the game. It's how Mexico played through us for the goal. Agreed. It is, right? Mm -hmm. It absolutely is.
1: Because it goes back to the, when Mexico start to slow it down and possess, they start to move from right to left, left to right. A couple times they're probing. As you said earlier, they're kind of moving five yards further every single time, so they're getting a little bit closer. But the other thing they're doing is that, like, as an example, like the ball goes to the left back and, say, Christian Roldan steps out, Weston McKinney steps out a little bit. The ball goes from the left back back to the left center back, and those two players drop in. So, fine, their shape hasn't changed. They've gone back to exactly where they needed to, except that they've had to run out, in in, like, Roldan's case, aggressively sprint 15 or 20 yards and then drop back. So fine. But then when the ball comes back, they have to do it again. And when the ball comes back, they have to do it again. And eventually you've run the a bunch of 15-yard sprints and yep. you're starting to get tired. And once you get tired, that discipline dips a little bit. Yep. And that's when they start like, losing marks. They don't track runs. Mm-hmm. They don't step the balls. And more importantly, they don't win those 50-50s anymore. Yep. All of those factor into this goal.
0: And then because Zardes and Pulisic could get moved around, the front two, mm-hmm. they're not blocking off the pass nope. to the central midfielder. And on top of that... Mexico doing a very clever thing. All right. The central midfielder mm-hmm. who is receiving possession most of the time is Edson Alvarez, yep. right? But he would do a thing where then he would drop into between the two centre-backs, the back three, um, and then Jonathan Santos would shift across and he would be yep. the central midfielder receiving the ball. That's what happens for the goal. And then he you manages have... to take that space, receive the ball, he's away, and he ends up scoring.
1: He is and to complete the pattern, then you have Rodriguez advances up the right, the right back gets further forward, then you have Pizarro come inside, and so if you're Mexico, you really don't lose much because even though Alvarez has dropped, Jonathan DeSantos has dropped, but now Pizarro is another central midfielder, so he fills that spot, you but now have your the right overload. Back has moved forward You
0: still have too many midfielders for McKenna McKenney yeah. and Bradley to deal with.
1: But if the United States haven't changed their shape, which they haven't, now you end times have four midfielders from Mexico, and two central midfielders <laughs> to the United States, <laughs> and you have two kind of advanced Semi forwards who yep. then get more and more spread, and uh, in the end, I think this starts with uh, a ball into the feet of Jonathan DeSantos, who has a little bit of time and space now. Yeah, because we've well, got
0: McKinney kind of on him, mm-hmm. but he beats him, he beats him like he gets away from him and beats him. He does, he has a bad touch that
1: like pops up, and that's yeah. and it's weird because the bad touch actually suits Jonathan DeSantos because Weston McKinney then tries to make a play on it, but so too does Michael Bradley, and so neither one. Effectively puts that body in in the way that Mexico, if that ball were loose and they th- and and Christian Pulisic were on that, they would have just fouled him. They would have knocked him yeah. over because they don't want to let him build here. Bradley and McKenny. Can't quite, like, 100% commit, except that Bradley commits enough that he leaves his, he leaves Pizarro, who is now open when De oh. is able to kind of collect the ball enough to play a ball forward.
0: And does he get it to Pizarro? He does. And then Pizarro uh, is a little bit open, so he plays it into Jimenez. Yep. Jimenez, I think he stood up really well by Aaron Long, right? Mm-hmm. Long doesn't let him turn and get anything at goal. But Jonathan De after playing to Pizarro, has continued his run. Mm-hmm. So all Jimenez has to do is a clever... Very delicate little back hill into the path of Dos Santos, who is wide open to take the shot because he hasn't been tracked and it's Weston McKinney who has failed to track him yep. after after sort, sort of getting beat but not mm-hmm. by like 10 yards or so, right? Yep. He could have gone with him. McKinney's just slow to react when DeSantis goes and I think maybe a little gassed and not fast enough to catch up with mm-hmm.
1: him. And uh, this is Weston McKinney who wore the captain's armband. Uh, we heard Burhalter say some very nice things about him in the post press yeah. press conference but this is also the same Weston McKinney who started to have some bad giveaways, yep. had some mental lapses, didn't track the run here. We heard Greg Berhalter try to relay instructions to him throughout the first half maybe yep. because he was the captain but it did feel like we saw all of the positives from weston mckinney in moments tonight and then we saw the negatives that he still needs to improve upon
0: absolutely i think really telling is in the Berhalter press conference someone asked him i can't remember who the journalist was asked him uh why did you give him the armband and what did you make of his performance tonight, yep. and he spent a good two minutes explaining all the positives of yep. weston mckinney of why we gave him the armband and then he said i think I'm almost quoting this verbatim. In terms of his performance tonight, a lot of guys had difficult nights. So I'm not going to comment on Weston's performance. I'm not going
1: to talk about individual players, I yeah, think, because that's always a worrying sign to me. That is that is genuinely a red flag for me when a coach says that. Yeah. Because I understand you don't want to throw them under the bus, but as soon as you're doing that, there, first of all, is a like tacit admission that, yeah, they did not have a good night. Absolutely. They made mistakes. That's my point, yeah. Yeah, but it also then, it sort of leaves you like, well... It, have, have we learned anything from this? Like, are we – has he picking up on it? Like, I would I, – and again, it's where I go back to, like, maybe Ben Olsen overshares sometimes. But I appreciate that he says, like, yeah, that just wasn't very good from Weston. He's got to be able to do that. But he's a young guy, and we'll kind of keep working with you him. Think like, would say, yeah. I think that kind of is more useful in these moments. And yeah. it sounds like you're throwing them under the bus. Greg Berhalter, obviously a more experienced and professional coach than I. But that, that was just a moment of, like, ah, you could have kind of helped us understand a little bit more about what's yep. being asked.
0: Oh, so the other change, we've already mentioned the other change Mm -hmm. as we try to go for it, is to bring Lovitz on for Ream. So theoretically, Lovitz gets forward a bit more down the left, but it's not quite enough of a change, right? I think, essentially, I think Balto was too conservative with his substitutions. And there's a logic for all of them. But really, if you're 1-0 down, I think Tyler Boyd's the man to call. yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, you, you wasn't this your other idea? Was like you put Paul Ariola at left back? Yeah, he said the long sub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah let
0: Ariola play left back mm-hmm. and get Boyd on. Yeah, take out Ream and get yeah. Boyd on as the attacking left winger.
1: And yeah. I think, and I think again, going back to like my concern that maybe we've seen the last of Tyler Boyd for a little while. This again is another like it's Exhibit C, I guess, in my argument that like when you're like, if the argument against Tyler Boyd is he tries to shoot too often, he tries to get forward, he wants the ball, he wants to make a, he holds onto it and dribbles. Isn't yeah, one, it's sort of is like okay that's kind of what you need when you're chasing a game in Mexico yeah. are okay with sitting off a little bit more right yeah and so you don't get that instead you still get the United States slowly building out of the back Stefan gets the ball plays it to a center back center back dribbles forward plays it to a left back left back dribbles forward plays it to a central midfield and it's like there, time is ticking here, fellas. Like, yeah. you are running now out of time. Now the time to absolutely rush yeah.
0: it, right? Just bang it forward. Yeah. I, I hate saying it, but yeah, 10 minutes left, bang it forward, yes. get it in the box.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, oh, I, and Send so me go
0: up there and just aim things at his head.
1: Yeah. I mean, that would have <laughs> been fine too. Uh, but instead, I think I would – I feel confident saying that, like, uh, Christian Roldan I think could have been useful in this game that could have been a useful sub I think where he was substituted in given what he was apparently supposed to do I don't think that worked very well I don't think the Lovett substitution makes much sense to me I understand the idea behind it yeah. but I don't love it it's just so like I think it's only not one of these of subs a, made sense it's just not enough of a tweak no. right it's mm-hmm. like
0: you know in Westworld when she gets them to up all her things yes. uh, it's as if they just nudged them up like 1% and she was like yeah that's great that'll do it
1: <laughs> you know what I mean it should be fine now yeah yeah yeah, yeah perfect <laughs> um, yeah so I, I think and- she being Thandy Newton no, I, I know who you meant. Oh, no, I listeners know. might not. AKA Maeve.
0: Yeah, Maeve. I'm yeah, on it. I'm on it. Um,
1: yeah, and so I, I think in the end, the United States obviously do not get the, the goal. They don't pull it back. But it, I think it also ended in a more frustrating fashion because for all the times that it felt like the U.S. maybe could have gotten a goal, maybe they should have gotten a goal. It also never felt like in those final few minutes they were really going to like unlock Mexico or were making substitutions that were causing Mexico any sort yep. of problems. It always felt like it was going to be if they do it, it will be a set piece and somebody's unmarked. Maybe Christian Pulisic has an amazing dribble. Maybe Paul Ariola pops up in the right moment at the right time. But it never felt like Burhalter's adjustments caused Tata Martino any sort of consternation yeah. or confusion.
0: That's why, like, our opening thesis was he was out coached. Yes, right. Okay. And then... wait. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to move us on to talk about what happens with the U.S. going forward. Okay, If you have more to say on this game, I am very willing to listen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of bleeds into that one, but it's a player we haven't talked about, a player who often comes in for criticism. It's Michael Bradley. Yeah. A- and, and I do think that tonight was uh, a night where I don't think Michael Bradley can play that role if that's what he's going to be asked to do. and To be part of a two-man
0: central yes. midfield defensive. Yes, yeah.
1: be- because... Why so, yeah. Okay, because like I am, I am not stupid like I when people say like Michael Bradley slow I am not going to make an argument like no he's actually really fast like he, he's not I mean I don't think he's like slow slow but he's certainly yeah. not like fleet of foot mm-hmm. and if you're putting him in positions as he was especially in the second half where he has to sprint 15 yards to one side to try to put out a play or sprint 10 yards to make a tackle or sprint five yards to like win a 50-50 ball if he has to keep doing that I don't think that fits him I don't think that's what he can do and I think we saw him get exposed on a number of occasions in the second half because he just kind of was overwhelmed and it wasn't playing into what he actually is good at his strong suits instead it kind of being on the ball he's
0: good in possession he's just not he's not a defensive weapon no he's not and like
1: and like the moment I talked about earlier when Josie Altador draws the foul and gives the US a breather like Michael Bradley collects the ball in the box shapes to like volley the ball as far clear as he can, then realizes, oh, Josie has dropped in. He takes a touch to get away from a Mexican player, under yeah. pressure, in the box, plays that ball forward into his feet. Like Bradley is one of the best passers we have. He has some of the best vision we have. He can still very much contribute to this team and should contribute to this team. But if you're going to put him in there and expect him to put out two V1 fires, he's not going to yeah. do that.
0: He's kind of like, someone made this point to me on Twitter. I apologize, I can't remember who it was, mm-hmm. but they said, isn't he actually a bit like Andrea Pirlo? And yeah. in many way, like I don't think he's at the level because yeah, Perlo's because he's very better, very, right? very yeah. special. <laughs> but like if you think of Perlo, they didn't ask him to play in a two-man midfield for Juventus or Italy, no, right? They didn't. He had Daniele De Rossi around him for Italy. He had you know people who would do the dirty oh, work. And, yeah. and numbers, right? He was in, always in a three-man midfield. Yeah. who was the midfield uh, when Juve were Vidal? In Champions he, in had final of he had Raul Vidal. He had Paul, Paul Pogba, Pogba in there. Yeah, yeah So exactly. Pogba, Vidal, and Perlo. Yeah. Then it works. Even right? those...
1: can like run around and put out fires. Because yeah. those guys did the running. Exactly. Right? Okay. So
0: you ready to talk about maybe what the US needs to change? Because this is one of them for me. This is this 442 defensive shape, I think it massively got found out against Mexico. Mm-hmm. It looked absolutely discombobulated, uncoordinated. No one really was on the same page, especially in the second half. Mm-hmm. Could not defend Mexico in this shape. I think we need a new defensive shape. And if Michael Bradley is going to be a key part of this team going forward, which is something I'm fully on mm-hmm. board with, we need three central midfielders when we're defending against good teams. We need yeah. a functional 4-5-1 defensively. We do. And and like I I think you don't even
1: have to change it that much necessarily. Like One, th- one thing I thought the United States started to do in the second half, I think, as Josie Alcedor got tired and couldn't, like aggressively step out as much is he sat in and was almost a number ten. If you imagine the shape being like a four-two-three-one with like Bradley and McKinney as your two holding midfielders, yeah. Josie Altidore was kind of like sitting ahead of them, and it was Pulisic who was roaming around. Yeah, because that better, works.
0: Pulisic's better at pressuring the yeah. ball, right? Basically, because he's faster mm-hmm. than Altidore, so he's quick on it when there's a loose touch. He almost got himself a couple of chances yeah. just from robbing, I think Moreno a couple of times, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and Josie can't do
1: that. He cannot. But also this didn't feel like an adjustment made by Greg Burhalter. It felt like Josie kind of needed to sit in a little bit more, Pulisic was ready to go. Rough. But then I think um Ariola and it wasn't yet rolled on. It was instead She's Jordan Morris. Morris yep. Thank you. Uh stalling for time. They would start to step up a little bit more and be aggressive too. And so you would almost have a like, yes, it was like a four, two, three, one, but it was like a four-two Josie as the one, then like the two wingers more advanced, and then Pulisic even further. Yeah. But it... Really effectively cut off that ball into the middle of the midfield, like in center midfield, so Alvarez eventually drops, but then even when De Santos comes in, Josie's kind of there and handles that, but the wingers are further up, so it limits the effectiveness of playing the ball wide out of the back. Yeah. I think that worked okay. I think that would be fine.
0: So it's just about, it's really just about getting an extra midfielder yeah. in there. It doesn't even matter if it's not someone who's really a midfielder. It Mm-mm. could be Altidore. It could be. It just needs to be a defensive shape where it's not just two guys trying to handle like loads of Mexican players, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. And oh. I think, and it, but I think the the issue is that it unless you're going to put Pulisic wide and basically get rid of Pauli Ariola or put Pulisic on the right, you can't really change that much if you're Greg Halter because you you have to have Altidore. You're going to have a target striker. So then, if you're going to have like two midfielders in in Bradley and McKinney, let's say. Like You kind of have to play Pulisic Central, so it's either he's that number 10, which I don't think he necessarily wants to be for the United States. I think he wants a more free role, or you've got to put him wide. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see what Berhalter does to adjust that. I hope he does, because I agree with you that that is the thing that I don't want to see any more of.
0: I'm hoping that's a lesson learned from mm. this tournament, that this, sh- this defensive shape does not work against really, really good teams.
1: And, yeah, and I agree with that. And I, and, and I want to double down on one thing, which is that like we saw in the first half Berhalter kept doing the like, holding up his two index fingers and like, making sure they moved together. Did you assume closing. they
0: were Pulisic and Altidore? Yeah, and yeah. I
1: think he kept telling them, like, get closer, get closer, get closer. But if they get – the idea being, I think, to block off any pass through the middle.
0: Yeah, to like Alvarez or to yeah. Santos, yeah.
1: But I fundamentally think that it, eventually that won't work because unless those two stay five yards apart maybe, yeah. and even then, a good passer can find a, a ball through those mm-hmm. two if a good midfielder has checked into that space. And
0: you've wasted two players on one defensive third, exactly. right? Exactly. So
1: put one there, and now you can't play f- straight through that player. And then you've got another midfielder that can help, kind of uh, deal with any sort of pressure or overload. Yeah.
0: Okay, and in terms of the calendar, yeah, it's CONCACAF Nations League it in is. October and November. We'll mm-hmm. play Cuba and Canada, home and away. Assuming we sort of win that, win our group, yeah. we get on. I assume it's the same as UEFA Nations League, where you go to a semi-final and maybe a final. We may be getting a rematch with Mexico in 2020 mm-hmm. sometime if we get to the CONCACAF Nations League final. So that's October, November. That would be good. So it'd be good to have another go at them, right? And maybe you know six months more of uh, you know working the system and seeing what we can do. Um, September, it's in, there are two international dates in September. We don't have anything scheduled yet, Mm-mm. so we've got to wait and see who the US plays. I would I would argue that given that we're playing Cuba and Canada in October November, we need some challenging opposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All respect to Canada and some to Cuba, we need some challenging opposition in September. So you're saying not
1: to prepare for the challenging opposition of Canada and Cuba, but more so you want. Some just high-level yep. opponents, I yeah, to, yeah,
0: to keep working the system. Mm-hmm. And then the exciting part is there are players to bring in, mm-hmm. right? You've got Paxton Pomichal, I think, could come in and do something on this team. Yep. Just Sargent, maybe now is the time, especially in September, to call him up and get him uh, playing in the system, even if Altidore starts mm-hmm. and Sargent gets half an hour. Um, Tim Weyer, I think Tim Weyer is... If he, if he starts – join joined Lille, right? Mm-hmm. He's gone to Lille. If he starts playing regularly in League 1, there is no argument for not calling – there's no argument that you shouldn't call him up, right? Mm-hmm. He was, even may have been called up for the Gold Cup, but yeah. he preferred the U-20s, right? Yep. Tim Ware to bring back. Tyler Adams. There it is. I was wondering when you were going to get to Adams. it. Tyler Adams. I mean, that's, that's the one I'd be most excited about, yep. right? And then the big question is, can he somehow be the third guy in central midfield? Or could he just outright replace mm-hmm. Michael Bradley? I wouldn't mind – I don't think it would be as good in possession, but I wouldn't mind seeing it in a game. Yeah. Tyler I mean, Adams in the sixth role.
1: I agree. And, and we're not done. Because, I mean, uh, uh, we really enjoyed what we saw from Dwayne Holmes in the brief moments Dwayne we saw Holmes, him. yes. Obviously, he had to pull out with injury. He could even
0: play wide right and mm-hmm. still, like, fit in with the whole thing, right? He yep. could replace Jordan Morris or replace what Christian Roldan was doing um, and be way more effective. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I enjoyed what I saw from uh, Aaron Long and Matt Miazga tonight. I thought Aaron Long especially did a really, really good job. Yeah. I think he has probably got that one center back spot locked down. Yeah, But I wouldn't mind seeing John Brooks come back. Um, John John Brooks Brooks is a fairly good centre-back. I am understating that for dramatic purpose. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, John Brooks is a
0: fairly regularly injured centre-back.
1: Well, there's that. Speaking (laughs) of uh, regularly injured slash, you know, uh, debatable uh, defenders, DeAndre Yedlin could also come into this team, also should come into this team, because we could see him deployed further forward as an attacking player. That would be fine. Maybe he comes in and is that attacking right back as well. I mean, but now we've got options there at right back. It's not just Tyler Adams, I guess, is going to play there, and then Nick Lima. It could be Tyler Adams, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him more central, as you said, because there's Nick Lima, there's Reggie Cannon, now there's DeAndre Yedlin in there, too. Uh, you've got a lot of options.
0: How would you feel about Tyler Adams coming back into the team in September and we go back to the Bear Halter experiment of Adams is right back, but then he joins Bradley in central midfield and McKenney goes a bit higher? That does get extra numbers in central midfield mm-hmm. when we lose the ball and we're defending, but it doesn't necessarily solve the 4-4-2 defensive shape problem.
1: It doesn't. And I think I will crib from Matt Doyle to say that I think this result against Mexico shows that maybe it's time to be a little less cute and i think that like that to me is is a is a nuance is a wrinkle that requires a lot of practice and preparation and i think what we saw from the united states is that that time could maybe be better served figuring out like, how to make in-game adjustments to a high-pressing opponent or opponent who's switched and overloaded one side. Yeah. I would rather them do that, I think, and I would rather just play Tyler Adams in a sort of set position where he can operate with a bit more awareness or knowledge, I guess. Okay, fair Pre-existing knowledge.
0: What if he comes in and plays right back and just does the overlapping right back role?
1: I mean, I won't love it because I don't know if that solves the problem necessarily yeah. because we still then don't have numbers in the midfield but you know having Tyler Adams in the team would be nice
0: yeah it's hard to imagine being any better than Reggie Cannon has been uh, you know what I mean like yeah. even in playing great is like kind of what Reggie Cannon looked like tonight so yeah. I guess kudos to Reggie Cannon for that
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I forget who it was who tweeted that maybe it was Will Parchman who said like, if nothing else coming out of this, we know that Reggie, Reggie Cannon could can be an acceptable right back yeah. against, against a team like Mexico, who are yep. a pretty decent team.
0: Salute to uh, Luchi Gonzalez at FC Dallas because mm-hmm. Paul has looked like five times a yep. player this year. Cannon the same. I think um, things are happening at FC Dallas. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, anything else? Like any other sort of future improvements that you'd like to see, or players you'd like to see brought in over the next few months? Uh,
1: no, I mean, I. This might not fit here, but I think, like, the one thing that we saw a lot of in uh, Twitter before this game, somewhat during this game, even though we tried not to pay attention to Twitter during the game and then after, is it seems like there's, like, two schools of thought, which is, like, either the players just aren't good enough, we're not, we don't have the quality, we don't have they the quality. They should all retire. Yeah. <laughs> or, like like, we got this wrong, Mexico are just better than us. But I think, I just want to say that, like, if your mentality is all the players aren't good enough, we don't have enough talent right now, you can't then be mad about the results. Because you can't say, like, we're... Be- you can't say, like, oh, this toddler doesn't yet know calculus, so why is she failing her calculus Let's exam? Let's not even
0: send her to school. It's,
1: but even just, like, <laughs> so then, like, she doesn't know how to count, so then why can't she pass h- high school algebra? It's like, yeah. well, you you just said she can't count. Like, what are you talking about here? So
0: you're saying give the time, give the team time to learn to count?
1: I, I think, yes, exactly. Well, I think I just mean more so that, like, you kind of got to pick your battles. And if you're going to be mad that we don't have better players – then you can be mad that we don't have better players. But it's not like that's just going to change overnight. Yeah. But you, then you can't also be mad that the team isn't better. I think that if you want to be frustrated by some of the decisions and some of the like the questions that have not yet been answered, I think that is completely acceptable and justified and makes the U.S. better. Because if people keep asking questions about, is this being solved? Why aren't we doing this? Not only does it put pressure on the coach, on the team, on the federation, I think that's good, but it also has people asking Questions that I think help people better understand what's going on. So, why aren't we dealing with this overload? Why haven't we adjusted to Mexico switching their attacking yeah. players? Those questions, I think, further the dialogue, so spe- further the discourse. Yes.
0: Speaking of furthering things, mm-hmm. what do you make of Greg Behalter's take in the press conference that essentially we weren't quite there yet? Yeah. We're working on it, we weren't quite there yet, but it was a good experience for all these guys.
1: Uh, wh- wh- what do you mean?
0: Like, do you find that an acceptable answer? I find myself like half agreeing with him, but half saying, No, Greg, I wanted to win the gold cup. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like he didn't feel like he'd lost a trophy. It mm -hmm. felt like he'd had a nice experiment, and I felt I felt a little weird about it, despite me being very much on board with Greggy Ball and thinking long term and thinking this will improve and get better. Yeah, I think that was
1: I keep going back to Ben Olsen. I think this was one where he was a bit more candid because he began it by saying Mexico were the better team. Yeah, Mexico. I I can't remember if he said they deserved to win, but he definitely said they were the the better team tonight. And I'm with you that I would rather hear him say like that sucked. Like I did Uh, not enjoy losing that game. We're gonna beat them next like you do want a little bit of that swagger, a little bit of that confidence, a little bit like a of, bit of fire of like justified defensiveness of yeah. like no, like we're gonna fix this. We're gonna like And not just brashness, but, like, I would have liked a bit more intensity as opposed to being told it's a learning experience and the guys are going to come out a bit better for it because...
0: I guess we're just not going to get it, OE. We're not going to get fire from Berhalto. We're going to get sort of logic and reasoning and actually quite sensible ideas and takes, Mm -hmm. but it's not what you want in the moment. It's not what you want in the (laughs) moment,
1: but it's also, like, like sensible takes if you decide that they're sensible takes. If you think, like, okay, we've been building and we're still building, and if the next time in the Nations League... We make it through and we're still building. But then when we come up against Mexico in 2020, well, we're still building towards 2022. Like At a certain point, it's like yeah, yeah. you got to be done building. Like yeah, you yeah. can't just keep, you you can't con- keep adding extensions. Like contractors
0: man. that keep saying, oh, it's going to take longer than I yeah, thought.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but I need more time and money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess, yes, that would have been the nice to be like, look, I know that wasn't fun, but we're yeah. going to get better.
0: Maybe just a, dif- a different way of phrasing mm. the same thing, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Okay, there's one final thing we haven't talked about. the thought people would be mad if we don't talk about mm. it. Was that a handball from Edson Alvarez? You know, there's a nah. corner. Jordan Morris heads it. Guardado heads it off the line. Yep. It didn't cross the line, right? We mm. took a decent look at it. It didn't cross the line. Um, McKenney has the follow-up shot. And it does hit Edson Alvarez in the arm. Everyone appeals for handball. Yep. Should it have been a penalty kick? No. It's 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 correctly
1: not given. Uh, Alvarez he turns his back. We talk about that. Don't do that. But he keeps <laughs> his arm completely at his side, which is what I, I think. When I first saw this, I thought he was doing that sort of like guilty. I'm trying to hide my arm. Like he grabs his arm. Yeah. Watching it again, I realized he's saying like, no, 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 my arm's against my body. I didn't do anything. And that's basically what happens. If you imagine his left arm is tucked against his side, yeah. he turns to avoid. I think potentially getting hit in the face. So it ends up hitting the outside of his like bicep. But it's also the case that if it doesn't hit his bicep, it hits his body. Like, I don't think he – it doesn't break his silhouette. He doesn't try to make himself bigger.
0: That is the key phrase, right? He doesn't, like, doesn't make himself yeah. bigger. His arm isn't out there. And I also
1: yeah. think, like, given that it's a rebound shot that Weston McKinney hits very, very well, I think you could also make the argument that he's not, like – reacting to it unnaturally. He's not like flailing and the ball hits an arm that's outstretched. It stays like on his body. I think it's all justified enough that I understand why it wasn't given. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm the same. Yeah, I think maybe VAR would have looked at it again and been like, yeah, uh, no.
1: I think it's just the, the desperation in the moment of thinking that that header was going in, because it's a great header from Jordan Morris. It is, it's a, right. He's it's right. a great defensive yeah. header from Andres Guardado. And I think there's just the other moments where we thought for sure the U.S. was going to score, the Pulisic breakaway, the Josie Alcador drags the shot wide. So in that moment, it just felt like something's got to go right. It's got to be a penalty. <laughs> and the way Mexico all very sheepishly did nothing, I think they were a little bit nervous about it too. Yeah, yeah. So that maybe like, like then intensified that feeling that it should have been a penalty. But regardless, Mexico should have... I had a penalty against them because they're still doing that damn chant. And that's really, <laughs> Not a really, fan. really frustrating. The only
0: good thing about some of Stefan's short goal kicks is that he kind of faked them out a couple of times. Yes, he did.
1: <laughs> he did. and then, But then they kind of came back with even more vigor. Yeah. Uh, I tweeted about it. I had someone tell me to be less sensitive. And to that person I say, shut up. <laughs> Beautiful. All right.
0: Um all right, we've got uh, the Copa America mm. final to talk about. We certainly do. I'm sure there'll be lots of lots more US men's national team chat in our future, including at our live show by the way, which is July 13th at Audi Field. You keep mentioning Ben Olsen. Is it because we're going to Audi Field to perform at Audi Field? Yes.
1: It's all planned out. Are you
0: hoping to get a review of the show from Ben Olsen where he has a press conference and breaks down our performance?
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) That man will be candid.
0: (laughs) I would welcome it because I think we will be really good. So it's me and Taylor. It's Alexis and Christian from the Mm Cooligans. I'm really confident this show is going to be good. I think it's worth spending $20 plus the inconvenience fee on a ticket.
1: Oh, I agree with all of that. Yeah. I just don't want at the end of it Ben Olsen to be like, you guys are terrible.
0: <laughs> how does it feel? <laughs> we'll be announcing the guests,
1: hopefully. What if, what if he like rewatches the program, like the performance a couple times, and then releases a detailed podcast breaking down everything that went wrong? I, mean, I don't know how I feel about that. We've done
0: it to him in the past. That's it's only true. fair that he does it That's to true. Us, all right. Right? All right. All right. If you want to get tickets, mm-hmm. there are only so many left. They're yep. going. Totalsuckershow.com slash live. Totalsuckershow.com slash live. And you will see the link to get tickets. And we'll be announcing the guests. Podcasts this week we're very excited about who the guests mm-hmm.
1: are we are very excited about that now my question for you then Daryl Grove is what if we have listeners who want to come to the show uh, but have not gotten new contacts <laughs> cannot see the show are worried about things being too blurry and thus aren't going to attend so they won't be able to
0: tell which one is that? Uh-uh. Is that Polanco is that yeah. Rockwell what's, what's going on is that Guerrero is that we,
1: Grove to be fair all four of us look and sound identical so I can understand <laughs> how you can make that
0: mistake <laughs> with our Brooklyn accents uh-huh. yeah. and your Newark accent yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, the best thing to do would be to get some contact lenses Mm -hmm. so that you can see clearly and the best way to get contact lenses is through simple contacts because it's the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in
1: minutes Mm -hmm. instead of heading to the doctor year after year uh just to renew your prescription for something you wear every day you can do it on your own uh time and terms in just a few minutes this is vision care for the 21st century,
0: it sure is because you can do it on your iPad what? or on your phone mm-hmm. or on your Android or yeah. whatever you've got or your laptop. If you really you do it on your old-fashioned uh, desktop, if you really want. I know
1: it. what you meant there. I got excited for a second. I feel like if you're if you're having your Android do it, then we move from the 21st to the 22nd <laughs> century. But I take your point otherwise. You know
0: what I meant. <laughs> you can do the five-minute uh, vision test yep. to renew your prescription on any sort of mobile or computer device. It's only twenty dollars. And and your or, Android, and all you need is an Android mm-hmm. <laughs> or iOS or yep. any other type. Um, and 10 feet of space. Ooh, 10 feet, okay. Yeah, because you've got to be 10 feet away to do the... Otherwise, you're cheating, right, if you're up close, right? And (laughs) they'll know, so don't try and cheat it, because it is reviewed by a proper eye doctor (laughs) to make sure... That you've done it right,
1: right? (laughs) It is indeed. It's designed by ophthalmologists and a licensed doctor reviews every test so you can skip the office visit but not the care. That's what many people have done. They have over 5,000 five-star reviews on the App Store uh,
0: because they're just that good, Mr. That's about twice as many as us. Is it really? Yeah. But I bet, their, I bet their soccer content is not get as good it together, as yeah. <laughs> Get it together, Internet. Yeah. Get it together. When you order your lenses, after you've renewed your prescription or if you just have a current prescription, mm-hmm. um, they have all the brands, all the lenses you're familiar with, almost certainly have the one that you use. They had the one that I use when I use Simple Contacts. Um, and then you can order your lenses and they'll get shipped right to you. But if you think your lenses are maybe $20 overpriced mm-hmm. – we got good news for you.
1: We do indeed. Uh, the Vision Test is only $20, as you said. Shipping is free. But our listeners can get $20 off their first Simple Contacts order with the promo code TSS20. Uh, try and save for yourself that $20 by going to simplecontacts.com slash TSS20 or entering the promo code TSS20 at checkout.
0: So simplecontacts.com slash TSS20 or enter the code TSS20 at checkout. And remember, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Tis Still not. get that. But audio contacts through SimpleContacts.com.
1: And speaking of simplecontacts.com, thank you to SimpleContacts.com for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Should we stop reviewing the Gold Cup? Have we had enough?
0: I've had enough. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk US men's National Team, I'm sure again this week Will or we in think? the future. All right. Yeah. But let's talk Copa America mm-hmm. final between Brazil and Peru. Do you still have your notes from earlier? I thought I, we watched this game seven weeks ago. It feels that way. <laughs>
1: uh, it was let's go full disclosure here. We finished watching it and we were both like, You want to have a nap? So we went and took uh, naps in respective parts of the building. That's how we went. Sure did. Yes. Um,
0: I've accidentally put my notes in the recycling. Oh, good. So would you fill for one second while I go and grab them?
1: Uh, Sure, I can do that. Uh, So the Copa America final was this afternoon. Uh, It was between Brazil and Peru. Uh, Brazil had beaten Peru 5-0 in the group stage earlier in the competition. So... The fact that it finishes 3-1 to one in favor of Brazil is maybe like a positive sign for Peru. But I think in the end, <laughs> they maybe won't see it that way. Instead, Brazil will uh, be happy having won their first Copa America since, I believe, 2007.
0: I unrecycled my notes. Good job. I got, I got them back. Good job, did buddy. That. So should we talk about the goals?
1: I love uh, – okay, again, not trying to blow up your spot. There are so many empty – like food ah, containers You were and-
0: not I recycled all my bottles oh, while you were out the room earlier is that what
1: it is then uh-huh. I was going to say like, you recycled the one thing that you actually need no, for later no I did everything and this got included all right. yeah. well well done my friend yeah. yes so uh, let's get to it shall we uh,
0: yes mm-hmm. so the goal in the 15th minute yeah. that opens the scoring is from Everton mm-hmm. and the exciting thing about Everton is that he's not Neymar <laughs> <laughs> I kind of
1: forget how much Daryl does not enjoy the Would, performances of do you Neymar you
0: remember Neymar um, Everton nutmegs Neymar in mm-hmm. Brazil practice as yep. they're warming up for the Copa America and Neymar fouls him and takes him down in practice because he just won't let that happen and whoever's refereeing that practice game doesn't even give Everton the free kick uh-uh. so hey this is Daryl cutting in quick correction here I've been told by Dro underscore speaks on Twitter that the player that nutmeg Neymar was not Everton it was Weverton with a W Everton with a W a 19 year old right back who plays in Brazil um so my apologies for that uh so things to remember is one I'm a dummy. I got the player wrong. It's Weverton, not Everton, who was just training with the squad. And two, Neymar is mean to teenagers. Two, And I think didn't Nerish eventually take Neymar's spot when Neymar got injured, but now Everton's taken it and Everton has won the Copa America in Neymar's plays. I'm sure there's not yes. really a rivalry between mm-hmm. the two of them, but I like how this has played out.
1: I do too. But it's probably not all Everton that we should be giving oh, the credit yeah. for because there are two other players heavily involved here. The first being Denny Alves. Yes. And there's a weird moment when I think Casemiro is taken out, I think it was by uh, Edson Flores. Um, and the, everybody I think assumes play is going to be stopped, that the foul is going to be given. And it's not, I think, because the referee gives advantage. But while everyone else is sort of stopping to see what's happening, Denny Alves is waiting for the ball to come to him, but also telling Gabriel Jesus to stay yes. for the forward. Don't drop in, stay forward. Uh-huh. So as soon as Deniavich gets this ball, he turns, he plays one down the channel for Gabriel Jesus, Perfect, who right? I was sure was going to be offside. I thought for sure it would come back on VAR. Yeah. Instead, re-watching it, or once we see the highlight, uh, uh, Abram and Zambrano, the two center backs, about three to five yards deeper than their uh, fullbacks. The full yeah. And so Gabriel Jesus is on, and then he does some skills. He still has some
0: work to do. Mm-hmm. Right? I would say that what he does is... The biggest drag back of all time. Yes, yeah, pretty big. <laughs> That's what beats Peru. Yep. He drags this back from deep mm-hmm. to sort of end up being behind him, and then he's able to turn and just make some space and go down the line and then cross it far post for Everton. Is that a pretty fair description of what happens? It's just one giant drag back. Yes, yeah. it, it is, and it's. <laughs> but then a move as he as he drags it back, he then also pivots when he sort of gets it back and goes down the line, right? So that's yeah. the key part of it.
1: It's the key part of it. The other key part of it is that uh, Everton has just decided to be completely unmarked at the back post. Yeah. He runs in. It's a one-time finish off of a well-hit ball from Gabriel mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it's really weird to see an attacking player that wide open in the box. Yeah. We think we have an idea as to what happened here, though.
0: Yeah, so Advin Kula mm-hmm. is is marking someone else, um, and he's also getting confused with a defensive midfielder.
1: Uh, Advin Kula I believe tracks uh, Felipe Coutinho thinking that Coutinho is the biggest threat Uh, but then it sort of is a lack of communication from Peru I mean as again as evidenced by the fact that the two centre-backs were five yards too deep or Uh thereabouts Um, but yeah it's basically then it's a lack of communication so everybody kind of comes central and collapses on where they think the ball is going to go Mm -hmm. leaving space at the back post which is where Everton ends up
0: I guess Coutinho's movement is key to this right Mm -hmm. because he's the number 10 in this system but he's gone all the way to the left wing and that's where Advin Kula picks him up right Mm -hmm. and then Advin Kula stays with him but when Coutinho goes back to the middle and stays with Coutinho uh, and Advin Cuda stays with him then that just opens this massive gap for Everton, yeah. right? It just Coutinho's movement frees up the entire left side. Yeah, and yeah.
1: I th- and I think uh, it's it's not just Coutinho's movement; it's Peru's lack of response to it because Tapia, who's one of the two kind of that's holding midfielders for, for it. Peru, yeah. he doesn't drop in at all to help Atvencula. So then there's no sort of like basically I think Tapia, tried enough, right? He has like kind of like like blind like horse blinders on. And he's <laughs> just like, oh, that's marked up. There's no other threat. I'll just stand at the top of the box. Oh, good. Yeah. One 0 Brazil. One 0 Brazil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the end of the first half. Yeah is crazy exciting. things got weird things, things got, got weird. weird so Peru win a penalty yep. they scored it but then a few minutes later Brazil make it 2-1 to go into half time mm-hmm. so let's go through this one by one it's, right. this is the Thiago Silva handball yes right? mm-hmm. not mentioned in the AJ Tracy song
1: not mentioned in the AJ Tracy <laughs> song um, but it's it's a good sequence from Peru where they start to get like quick combination passes yeah. down the right side yep. but with intent they're they're moving Ooh, yeah. the ball forward but they're doing it aggressively and they start to pull Brazil out and it's cause Flores problems Flores and
0: Cueva Flores and Cueva go 1-2-1-2 one, two, one, two, pretty yeah, much Advin,
1: yeah Evan Kula starts it but yeah then it's yeah. Uh, Flores and Cueva uh, specifically Cueva Flores-Cueva Cueva then tries <laughs> to play the ball in Tiago Silva is like sliding out and has his hand on the ground yeah hits the or ball hits the hand but that's still enough to block the ball and uh, I, think, I believe the penalty is given in the moment. No, it's not given in the moment. They do the VAR, uh-huh. and then they come back and give the handball for sure.
0: Would you agree that the reason Silva is all sprawled out is because he's like trying to step to Flores, then trying to step to Cougar, yeah. and he essentially ends up just lunging at it, and that's why his arms are all over the place as he goes sliding in on Quaver.
1: Yes, I would. Yeah. I would agree with that. Ah. Yes, and so Brazil protest, VAR confirms it is definitely a handball. Uh, calmly taken by uh, Paulo Guerrero. Yeah. Good to see him back in there. Takes yeah. it and converts it. It's a muted celebration, but I think an emphatic celebration for the Peruvian fans who are there because it's 1-1 to and it's things all look good as they're heading into halftime and it's totally going to stay that way. I think
0: it's worth focusing for a second on that Flores and Quaver the interchange yeah. and that passing. That's very Peru, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way they play. It's when yeah. they're really firing. That's how they play. And what I thought about this game just in general is they managed to do a lot of that, but Brazil was so aggressive in their defending mm-hmm. that eventually... It, it would just fall apart, right? Yep. There'd be like three good passes, but then Casemiro would step and win it, mm-hmm. or three good passes, and even Coutinho would intercept something. So it's like Peru would play beautiful football for like ten seconds, and Brazil would just take it off him. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's
1: a. I mean, you've got Marquinhos, you've got Thiago Silva, you've got Casemiro in front of them. Yeah. I mean, you've got what Artur uh, alongside him. Yeah. I mean, that's a solid kind of. Core of your midfield, or like core, like central like position that you're gonna really be able to con- control that game from there. Yep. Dani Alves on one side and Alexandra on the other. Well, they're pretty good too. Uh-huh. So I think that, and then Allison in goal, starting over at Dersen. again. Like, oh, there's crazy. just so much depth there in that defense that I think when Brazil were finally able to put together some some passing sequences and get some goals, the defense. More than likely, we'll be able to see that game out.
0: Even the defense, hype, the field is pretty good, as evidenced by this second goal. Yes, this is uh, so. Yotun has the ball. Firmino has this tackle where he basically slides across him and pokes the ball to his heel. He does it with his heel. That's the thing that's amazing. Oh, it's one of those tackles. I love those tackles. It's
1: yeah. Like I, I don't know how he does this because Yotun, I think, doesn't feel Firmino coming, even though we know that Firmino can drop back in and play defense and does that extra amount of work. But it's just also that even then when Firmino comes sliding in, Yotun, I think, just thinks like, oh, he's going to try to just tackle me and take me out and doesn't realize that, like, basically he's lost the ball. Like, yeah. it takes him a second to realize, like, ooh, the ball's been poked away. Uh-huh. That's probably not what's it's supposed surgical, to happen. right? It's like yeah. I a
0: kidney taken out. I didn't even realize it. Yeah.
1: And then... <laughs> That would be more depressing, I think. Um, But then Arturo picks it up. Arturo drives at the Peruvian defense, which I think is already scrambling because essentially they've been counter-pressed upon and are now kind of caught out in terms of some of them were stepping, some of them were, were too deep. And then I think this is where, like, Brazil get home field advantage, not necessarily in the sense that, like, the referees give them a nice call, in the sense that the field itself seems to kind of collapse upon Peru.
0: It does, because Zambrano, Mm -hmm. I think, is about to step out or step towards Jesus as the pass from Arturo. to Jesus goes in. He just falls over. Yeah. And you can see a massive diva. And I don't know if the diva is the result of him falling over Mm -hmm. or the cause of him falling over. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> I, I'm not, I think it was the result of him falling over. I okay. think he kind of plants and then maybe just doesn't get the grip he thought he would, and so he tears that field up, but also goes falling over. And since he was both like tracking, uh, who is it who eventually scores the goal? Thank you. He was like both tracking Gabriel Jesus, but then also trying to step to the ball. He basically is not able to do either, which gives Gabriel Jesus all the time in the world mm-hmm. to finish very calmly.
0: Jesus' day did not get better from there, unfortunately. He has a beautiful assist, a wonderful goal. It's a weird day. And then in the second half, Mm -hmm. Jesus is sent off for a second yellow. He is.
1: And I think this is where it was a little bit of gamesmanship from Peru. Because I think they make it a chippier game. Both teams committed fouls, don't get me wrong. There's lots of physicality. I think it's a little bit like, you fouled my guy, so I'll foul you. Well, you fouled my guy, and it becomes a vicious cycle. But here, I think Governor Jesus starts to get frustrated because he gets a really aggressive tackle from Zambrano to start. Yeah, 68th minute. Yeah, Then and then there's uh, one, I think, soon after that where he gets clipped again.
0: Advin Kula pushes him in the back yep. in the 69th minute. There
1: we go. And so I think here, when Governor Jesus goes in for a 50-50 challenge, Yes. Yeah. He goes in at an angle. He goes in in the air.
0: It's a header, right? Yeah, it's been like a Firmino flick on from a throw-in, yeah.
1: But it's also against Zambrano, who previously kind of like hip-checked him and, and basically knocked him off the field. So I think from the referee's angle, it looks basically like Gabriel Jesus sees an opportunity to kind of get revenge for some of the physicality that he's been experiencing, goes, if you're the referee, flying in and maybe leads with an elbow from that angle because it does look like he like bodies Zambrano and then maybe also gets an elbow in there too. Zambrano grabs his head, falls to the ground, face, stays right? on the ground. So it looks like he's been very severely injured or kind of Gabriel Jesus has gone out of control into mm-hmm. him. Second yellow, Gabriel Jesus protests. I'm sure many people have seen the gift yeah. of him crying after Tries he's been steps. sent off. Yeah. And I think his frustration is justified because he doesn't do any of that. He, nope. he jumps in, he definitely leaves the ground. It's probably a foul. I think you could give it as that. He it's, it's kind it's, of just
0: turns in the air. It's almost like he backs out the head and just turns his back yeah. um, into Zambrano. But the arm never makes contact with Zambrano's face. I He's he, absolutely faking the facial contact. Yeah,
1: I think he, I think he Gabriel Jesus, knows I'm not going to win this ball, so I'm going to kind of put myself into a position to both protect myself because I'm in the air, but also make sure that I don't make things any worse so that I'm not like going to lift my leg up to try to protect myself and then maybe give Zambrano studs to the chest or like put that yep. arm out to try to cushion it, but then it looks like I am throwing that elbow. I think he does everything he needs to do to make sure that it's not malicious when there is contact. I think it's just that Zambrano sells it really, really well and you get that second yellow. But it wasn't enough it was not. for
0: Peru to come back because this game ends 3-1 yeah. when Zambrano, our old friend, gives away a penalty in the 87th minute.
1: He does, and and this I think what was really interesting to me is that after Gabriel Jesus gets that second yellow, 20 minutes to go at that point, and you think, okay— Now it's going to be Brazil defending for their lives and it's going to be Peru with the extra uh, attacker. They're going to be going at Brazil and it's going to be a really interesting game. And instead, I think Peru really struggle to get out of the kind of physical mindset and they keep committing fouls. They keep knocking Brazilian players over. They keep giving free kicks and set pieces and putting the ball out and they kind of kill their own time. And I think that is never more clear than this uh, eventual penalty kick that puts it at three to one because it's just Zambrano making a fairly Boneheaded challenge.
0: Yep. So Everton has dribbled at the mm-hmm. Peruvian defence, but he's over-dribbled right yep. at the end, right? And the ball is going to the Peruvian keeper. Yeah. Gaysa, G- Gaysa. In fact, it ends up in his arms, mm-hmm. right? But after Everton has taken the heavy touch, that's definitely going to the keeper. Yep. Zambrano steps across and sh- just shoulder checks him, right? Yeah. Knocks him over. Yeah. I've seen some people argue that this is shoulder to shoulder. I 100 disagree. Because there's no play on the ball. No. He totally plays the man and not, doesn't challenge for the ball. That's why this is 100% a penalty
1: kick. I mean, I think it's 50% frustration and 50% he sees a free chance to basically hit somebody. And <laughs> I think he does that. He thinks like, oh, I can I can make this look like I'm kind of shielding my goalkeeper. I'm putting in a challenge because this player is dribbling in on goal. It will be okay. And I almost think he doesn't realize how heavy the touch is so that Gaese is able to collect it and yeah and then it's basically as it's being covered by the goalkeeper he just kind of charges through Everton knocks him over completely and there's no sort of like guile to it. It's not even a hard call I think. It's just he completely shoulder barges uh, yeah. Everton and yeah, the referee's going to give that, always. So up steps for Charleston. But still goes the VAR review and I do think that there were allegations or there were allegations from Lino Messi and some of the Ar- yeah. Argentinian players that the competition was rigged, that there was a VAR stuff was in favour of Brazil. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, that's a separate conversation I don't feel quite equipped to have because yeah. we hear those accusations sometimes, we hear rumblings of and, such things. And I haven't
0: seen the two penalty incidents that yeah. He's referring to that he thinks should have gone to VAR in Argentina's favor. But
1: this did feel like they went and VAR'd it one more time just to be sure, so that then you could sort of dispel some of those ideas that like Brazil got a penalty and nobody even goes to look at it, of course. Uh, They do review it, they uphold the decision. Correctly,
0: it's a foul, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah, And it ends up 3 1, courtesy of a very strange penalty from Richarlison. So he does like an
0: arc and then a stutter and then he shoots
1: it and then he shoots it yeah yeah I, I, it seems like he he is trying to make it seem that he's going to go to his right the goalkeeper's left and then does the uh, I'm going to call it the Megan Rapino of then sort of angling his hips so that he finishes with his laces into the side netting yep. his left the goalkeeper's right
0: yep so richardson everton fans was the uh, mm-hmm. was the eventual goal scorer
1: off of an everton
0: yeah. Penalty. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we want Everton to join Everton, right? My, my head hurts. Everybody wants Everton to join Everton. It's late. <laughs> it's very late. 3-1 Brazil. Mm. Congratulations to Brazil winning the Copa America on home soil.
1: Yes. Uh, and congratulations to uh, Chi-Chi, the Brazilian manager, for... Uh, skipping out of having to take a photo with the Brazilian president. Yes! <laughs> I enjoyed that.
0: A couple of players did as well, right?
1: Uh, a couple of yeah. players chose not to be in the picture, yes. Yep,
0: it's the equivalent of I'm not going to the you-know-what White House. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yes, yeah, so well done to Brazil. First uh, title, America uh, title, as I said, uh, since 2007. Uh, well done to Mexico for winning the Gold Cup again. Yeah. Sigh. Well done to the U.S. Women's National Team for of winning the course. World Cup. Let's just stay on that one. If you
0: want to hear about that, there's a whole show about that. There's one back in the feed, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Ben Olsen should listen to that one. (laughs) Uh, But before we finish up for the day, uh, even though it's late, we still want to touch base with some of the members of the TSS Scouting Network because we have many reports to get to. It's been a while, right? So let's get to it.
0: Okay, first up Mm. from the Scouting Network, it's Brian Hoysa. Brian Hoysa is scouting Sergino Dest, the 18-year-old Dutch-American defender for Ajax. Uh Brian says Sergino is with Ajax's first team for preseason training, with starting right-back Nusia Mazraoui off representing Morocco in the African Cup of Nations. Dest should have some chances to contribute
1: some of these reports were from like a week or two ago I think since then Dest has contributed and maybe even got an assist or maybe even got a goal for Ajax so some pre-season
0: friendlies are they already playing
1: things are looking good things All are right. looking good so let's right, keep it right. going Sergio Dest and also any Dutch newspaper saying that maybe the Netherlands should call him up you be quiet. You be quiet. <laughs> Dylan Viech scouting Kai Havertz, 20-year-old German midfielder for Bayer Leverkusen. He's still there? Uh-huh. Ha- uh, for now. Havertz was in the squad but did not play in Germany's two Euro qualifiers in June. But he did impress manager Yogi Lowe, who enjoyed having him with the squad. Uh, he's also been subject to several transfer rumors, notably a supposed €90 million Euro bid from Bayern Munich. Woo. The rumor then goes on to speculate that I think, given the length of his contract, it may just be that Bayern will wait and sign him on a free when his contract expires next year, I they, believe it
0: is. They do do that. They, they do they? do that. Uh, Ryan Marzak is scouting Josh Onomar, the 22-year-old English midfielder for Tottenham. Is he 22 already? Um, Ryan says Onomar is reportedly pushing for a permanent transfer to Sheffield Wednesday, as he thinks there will be limited opportunity for at Spurs this season. I saw Onomar's name on the list of... Players that Spurs are willing to sell. Ooh. CCV also on that list.
1: Yes, he was. Uh, Matt Koss, scouting Lucas Toussart, a uh, twenty-two-year-old French midfielder for Lyon. Multiple sites have linked Lucas with potential move with a potential move to Wolves. Yes. Though inner Milan are alleged to also be interested.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Trammell, aka Driek van Truens. Uh-huh. Drew Trammel is scouting Martin Odegaard, the 20-year-old Norwegian attacker for Real Madrid. Drew says the signings of Aiden Hazard and possibly Takafusa Kubo meant that there would be limited chances for Odegaard at Madrid next season, so he's instead been sent on loan to Real Sociedad for the 29-2020 season.
1: Mm -hmm. Well done, Martin Odegaard. What if he comes back all Basque? He might. He might do. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Jeff Markman scouting Reese Nelson, the 19-year-old English forward for Arsenal. Nelson was left on the bench for the England U21s in their group stage losses to France and Romania in the U21 Euro qualifiers. He then got the start in the dead rubber match against Croatia, which finished 3-3. Nelson immediately gave fans reason to question his absence in the first two matches when he earned and then scored a penalty inside the first 11 (laughs) minutes. With limited transfer funds at Arsenal, Nelson's integration into the first team uh, seems a foregone conclusion, says Jeff.
0: I just want to clarify, that was actually the Euro Under-21 tournament. Ah, it was the, okay. gr- the group stage. Gotcha. That's okay. why they played
1: France, Romania, and Croatia. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, to save us some confusion, Julie Nishimara Jensen is scouting Alan Halilovic, the 22-year-old Croatian midfielder for Standard Liège. Halilovic had a good news, bad news experience with the Croatian U21s in the U21 Euros. Uh, wearing the number 10 jersey, he starred in the first two group games against Romania and France. Both of which were losses that eliminated them, eliminated them from qualification. There we go.
0: From the or tournament. from advancing, yeah, there we go. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Hansen is scouting Frank Kessie, the 22-year-old Ivorian midfielder for Milan. Uh, Justin says, Frank Ratank started in central midfield of all, in all three of the Ivory Coast group stage matches at the Africa Cup of Nations. That Got tank. a brace of assists in their 4-1 win over Namibia. Mm-hmm. He and the Ivory Coast finished second in their group and will meet Mali in the knockout round on Monday. I'm assuming that game has already happened. Or are we uh, up to date here?
1: Uh, I think we're up to date here, which, which oh. as, as in Monday
0: being oh, yeah, so t- today at time right of recording. Now. There, you go. there uh-huh. we go. Okay, so we are up to date Yee. on the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. I mean, we are now that I adjusted the scouting report, there yes. There you go. So, if you would like to join the Scouting <laughs> Network, it is one of the ways that we finance the show. It sure is. The URL is totalsuckershow.com slash join it sure is. if you've already done so you haven't received a scout which is i think quite a few people because i've been a little lax mm-hmm. about doing it email me Darryl, daryl D-A R at totalsoftshow.com let me know that you want a player to scout and i will get it to you within 48 hours i nearly said 24 gave myself an extra day
1: bold statement bold
0: statement uh-huh. 48 hours is fine plenty mm-hmm. time right mm-hmm. long enough for a whole eddie murphy nick Northy movie are you having chemo on tuesday I am, yeah, but I can do right. laptop okay. things. Yeah. things. Right. I can type. Cool. I can type. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds fun. Um, so, yeah, totalsugshow.com slash join. Mm. Again, if you would like live show tickets, totalsugshow.com slash live. It's in D.C. It's July 13th. If you live in D.C. or within driving distance, which I'm going to say is as far as Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. um, then you should come and get tickets and come see us.
1: I mean, you could probably take a ferry from Europe. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Take, yeah. That, take that car. Come on over. Don't You're think fine. there is
0: a ferry across the Atlantic. It'd be cool if there was.
1: Not with that attitude. (laughs) Um, But we should also add, uh, I did bring up uh, you're having uh, chemo on Tuesday, Yeah. but uh, given that we've reached an end of the Women's World Cup, of the Gold Cup, of Copa Medica, we're going to kind of... Take a couple days off, maybe like reduce the amount of shows coming out this week. Yes.
0: Yeah, give people a chance to catch up. I've seen a few people complaining that they only just caught up. Yeah. And then we're putting out multiple shows today. It's how we do it. Which is fair, yeah. how we do it. So we are going to give ourselves Mm -hmm. a little break and slow it down on the Total Soccer Show um, over the next couple weeks at Mm -hmm. least, right? Yeah. There'll still be episodes, just not as many. Yeah, we'll be back in November. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back in November. We will
1: not. By the way, if you're new to the show, we'll be back and we will continue to... Uh, put out shows, maybe not quite at the clip that we have been. Yeah, but yeah. probably closer to five shows per week.
0: There we go. Mm-hmm. All right, so Tyler Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I don't understand how I
1: can say we're going to go back to just doing five shows a week, and I mean that genuinely. But I think <laughs> we did nine in five days. Is we, what we did. Had so much we actually
0: do less than that, though, right? We do just a couple a week for the next couple of weeks. Oh yeah, that's yeah. True. So mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna calm it down. Yes, we're gonna all calm right. it down. Five shows, listeners. Thank you for listening, especially if you listened all summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor and I will talk to you again pretty soon.